Okay, good to go. Excellent. Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Strong Tea. I'm Vicky from Late in Life Coaching, uh, uh, co-host and one half of Strong Tea along with yeah, me trying to jump in really early there. Sorry, and steal your limelight. I'm Katie from Strong and Brave. I'm the other half of Strong Tea and co-host. So uh, yes, all very excited to be back here again just before Christmas. If you haven't joined us before, Strong Tea um, is about exploring topics, experiences and some life stories as well. Um, and we hope that what they'll do is um, inspire others and help others. Um, and just to create a bit of an invaluable insight, really, into things that can be difficult to talk about um, and things that could be even considered a bit taboo. Um, and we just want to break those boundaries and have an atmosphere and environment where it's safe to talk about these things. And it's safe to ask questions about them as well. Um, me and Katie are the first to admit that we love learning new things and we feel that you need to learn more about uh, things in life in general. Um, and particularly in relation to, to women and culture and society and all those things that impact us as women as well. Um, and through hours of chat, myself and Katie came up with Strong Tea um, and it's named after our admiration, read obsession, um, with RuPaul's Drag Race. And basically in the show, if you haven't seen it before, the beautiful drag queens talk about spilling the tea. And that basically means that when they spill the tea, they're telling the truth or they're spreading the gossip, they're spreading the word. Um, so in a nutshell, that's the, that's the strong tea background. But hello and welcome to episode three. Uh, we are so lucky today to have a very special guest joining us. Um, hi, Katie. Oh, that's not me, by the way. That's the, that's, this is the new Katie. <laughs> we have two Katies today. This could get very confusing. <laughs> But today's episode is about Katie's incredible breast cancer journey, um, her experiences from diagnosis to treatment and recovery. Um, so just a quick trigger warning that this episode will contain details and information uh, relating to cancer experience um, and mental health. Um, so without further ado, what firstly, what are we all drinking, girls? Uh, well, I'll dive in first. I'm drinking a mint infusion from Twinings, um, which is peppermint, fennel and spearmint. Um, and I'm drinking it out of my lovely mug that was my Christmas present from Vicky. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> oh, you're very welcome. KTS, what are you drinking? I've gone rogue, I'm afraid. I've gone for a Diet Coke. It's very early, but I need a bit of caffeine. So. Yeah, you have put it in the glass, though. So that's very classic. Very posh. Yeah, yeah, nice. I like it. <laughs> and the pinky love it love it brilliant i also have gone rogue i've gone to the dark side i know i'm sorry strong tea listeners i am drinking a coffee much needed much <laughs> needed but yeah a cookie flavored nespresso coffee so yeah did you get that from like some sort of christmas range in the supermarket or was it just uh is it an all year round it's an all year round one yeah i bought the other half an espresso machine earlier because he's a coffee addict and i'm not so much of a coffee addict but i do like your coffee and i needed it this morning and yeah it's it's okay it's, it's good it's 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 touched the spot so yeah <laughs> let's get going <laughs> so katie welcome and yeah what's your story babe Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate being here. It's lovely to speak to you both. And um, before I kind of get into it, I just want to kind of caveat with this is my experience and this is what I've been through with my journey. 
And every time I speak to another cancer patient, everybody goes through something slightly different. Um, so I just want to caveat that, that this is kind of my story and my truth. Um, but yeah, so I got diagnosed with breast cancer. I was 32 and I got diagnosed three days before we went into our first lockdown in 2020. So yeah, March, 2020. And um, I was literally standing in the shower one day and, you know, washing everything. And I thought, oh, there's a bit of a pain in my right breast. And it wasn't something that I hadn't felt before. I had felt it before, but I suppose I kind of just hadn't really, I don't know, I wasn't normally as a mum, you're running around, you're cracking on with everything. So any kind of aches and pains, you just crack on. Um, But obviously I was in the shower. So I had a little feel and I could instantly feel a lump. And I thought, sure, that hasn't been there before. Called the hubby in and I was like, feel this. Have you felt that there before? And he was like, no, you need to go to the doctor. So this was on the Sunday. On the Monday morning, woke up straight away. He was like, you need to ring the doctor. So I rang the doctor and I was like, it's probably nothing. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, to calm down. Rang the doctor on the Monday. They got me straight in that day, which is a miracle because trying to get a doctor's appointment at any other point (laughs) never happens. Um, Got in with the doctor. They felt it. And she said, "Um, is there any history in your family of breast cancer? No. I was 32, so I was quite young, healthy, fit. Um, Had I breastfed my children? Yes, I had. Was I on the pill? No, I wasn't. Um, And then just, yeah, asking me questions around like history and things like that. And there was literally no reason why I would have breast cancer. So she said, I am going to refer you because obviously I can feel there's something there, but it probably is nothing. So don't worry too much. That was fine obviously this was all a bit weird at this point because covid was just kind of kicking off it was kind of getting bad we didn't really know what was going on we got a letter through the next day so this was on the tuesday and they said if you haven't heard from us by wednesday you need to ring us so i rang them on the wednesday hadn't heard anything um left a message still hadn't heard anything and dan sort of said to me look katie everything's a bit crazy at the minute we have our own business with mortgage broker he's a mortgage broker so He was like, work is really crazy. We don't know what's going on with the rates, all that type of stuff. So it was really hectic for him. So he said, can you just ring the Oaks who are a private hospital and just see if they can help or or how much it would be or what what is the next stage basically? So I was like, you're being ridiculous. Just calm down. They'll get back to me and it'll be fine. So anyway, Thursday came, still hadn't heard anything. I managed to ring the NHS again and they said that because of COVID, they've stopped screening. So they were basically putting everything on pause and they didn't know how long it was going to be until they could screen me. So I said, are you telling me then that I've got a lump and we don't know what's going on and there's no way of me finding out what this is? And she said, yeah, at the minute, everything's stopped. So I rang the Oaks and they said, it's 600 and something pound for you to be screened. And I was like, are you joking? That's crazy money. But Dan was like, we're going to have to find it. You need to go and get it checked out. So Thursday evening, we go to the Oaks and the uh, consultant there did, felt it. Then he did an ultrasound and then he went off and whispered. And I was a bit like, what's he saying type of thing? And he said, look, we, we can see there's two things in there, there's two lumps in there. One is definitely a cyst. It's quite perfectly round and it's squidgy, but there's something else in there and we don't know what that is. 
Um, so I actually have an NHS practice tomorrow, clinic tomorrow. Because you're already in the waiting list, I'll get you moved over onto there and I'll see you tomorrow at the end of clinic to do like a biopsy and stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. Thinking still can't be anything. Like I, I didn't, I still really didn't believe that it was anything to worry about. So we went home that night and he'd said a word and I, for the life of me, I can't remember what it was, but it was something about this lump. It was the way he described this lump. And I thought, just going to Google what this word was. And obviously I type it in and it basically might as well have flashed up and said cancer. But I still really didn't believe that it was anything to worry about. I was just like, I'm, I feel fine. Like I felt probably the best that I felt in a long time. You're um, quite, quite an optimistic person because if I'd have gone online and seen that, I'd have been like, oh my God, I'm going to die. You know, I, I, the panic would have set in, but you sound like you've sort of quite taken it all in your stride. Are you quite optimistic generally? Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I must be. Right. I guess I must be. Um, but I just really, I don't know. I think the word cancer just, it happens to other people. It doesn't happen to mm -hmm. you. And I'm only 32 yeah why, why would that that's it can't be it. it's just a cyst like that that's all I kept thinking was that it's not really obviously there was a little part of me that was going oh crap what if this is it sure. but I just I don't know I just really didn't I don't know if maybe I was burying my head in the sand a little bit but yeah I just didn't really think it was anything anyway fast forward to the next day we're going to the clinic um I'm laying on this table and they're biopsying me so they basically, what, oh, sorry, go on. I was just going to ask what that entails. They basically put like a local anaesthetic into the breast area where obviously the, the lump is. Mm -hmm. And it's like a gun thing that they like shoot in and then it takes out some of the cells from the, the tumour. Now, what they hadn't told me, thank God they hadn't, because then I would have known, is that my in my armpit, I also had my lymph nodes were enlarged. Well, at that time, I didn't know anything about cancer. And I was like, well, what's that mean? And obviously what it actually means is that the tumor had traveled from my breast into my lymph nodes, but I didn't understand what that meant. So anyway, they had to do a biopsy of that as well, which was worse because a lymph node is like millimeters wide. So trying to shoot that thing and get it was really hard. So she had to do it quite a few times. And I was just laying on the bed and again, I was feeling okay, but I was, I think it was starting to dawn on me that actually this is going to be something, there's something in this. Um, they put a little tag in as well. So when they're doing that, they put this like tiny little metal tag into the tumor site so that they can see if it's grown or not next time they scan you. Um, so I had a mammogram, they did the biopsy. And while I was laying on the biopsy, I had Dan next to me. He was just sitting on a chair and I just said, should I be worried about this? And then she kind of put everything down and she said, are you asking me if you think this, if I think this is cancer? And I said, yeah. She, so she just walked around and she said, yeah, we do. And I was like, oh, okay. And I just looked at Dan and I just remember like tears coming down my eyes. And I just thought, I, I literally don't know what this is going to mean for us. Like, I, I yeah, I, I didn't it, they say like the whole world stops it wasn't like it stopped I was just like I feel like I I don't know what's going to happen to me like what's going on it was mm. it was such a surreal moment um so yeah from then onwards it was just like okay we've got this to deal with now 
normally at a biopsy stage they don't tell you right um and they did say to me we have to wait for the biopsy to come back to confirm 100 percent but we would not tell you that we think it is if we if there was a chance that we didn't think it was she said we've got three consultants here that have done this a long time Mm -hmm. they can to be honest they knew from the minute they scanned me they could tell um so we then had a two-week wait for the biopsy results to come back which which to be honest I say that was hard but it was obviously hard but I knew before that point so I knew at Mm. that point I'd already got it so it was more just like what does this mean and yeah just kind of then finding myself in that world were you kind of because I know what I'm like I I rehearse things in my head so were you kind of rehearsing conversations and how you're going to tell people and you know because obviously you had a good idea at that point were those kind of scenarios going through your head so by this point we were locked down so I then couldn't see any of my family so my mum did actually come and babysit the kids whilst we went to have the biopsy done which I don't know whether that was breaking the rules or not I didn't really care at that point to be honest (laughs) um so she was over so obviously when I got home I told her but the hardest part of that was that I had to tell my dad over the phone and he was just desperate to come and see me. And I was like, you can't, because if I get, I can't get COVID. He was working still at the time as a key worker. Mm -hmm. And I was like, if you bring COVID to me, I can't get treatment. You can't come over. Um, So that was another really big fear was that obviously I didn't want to hold anything up. Mm -hmm. um so yeah telling him over the phone was really really hard and also my auntie I'm really close to my auntie and it was her 50th birthday three days later so she was obviously you know hitting 50 for her was like oh my god my life is over (laughs) and then you know she's really close to me so then I'm telling her this on top of that so the first thing obviously you hear when you when someone tells you you've got cancer you're like are you gonna die that's the first thing you think of whether you say it is or isn't that's the first thing um and then obviously the world was locked down so yeah it was a really really hard time to kind of I mean it swings and roundabouts because it meant that Dan was at home with me the whole time had it not have been locked down he'd have been so busy with work he'd have been out seeing clients Mm. and you know I would have spent a lot more time on my own and that's when it's dangerous for me Mm. because I'm thinking a lot and I'm you know like you say things go around in your head a lot um so yeah that was that was tough to tell everyone kind of over the phone and not be able to give them a cuddle as well as them give you a cuddle and obviously you've got you've got children had you had you told them at that point no not at that point because we didn't know how bad it was how old are your kids so at the time they were four and six right okay they're now six and eight so yeah it was a weird one so originally the plan again because of covid the plan for treatment was that I was going to have a mastectomy straight away because they were like we need to get the cancer out of you because we don't know what's going to happen with covid and treatment and blah 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 they then said oh and also the risk obviously if I got covid that was the other thing um they had stopped a lot of people's treatment through COVID. I know my next door neighbour was stage four and they stopped his. Um, I know plenty of people that had their treatments paused or stopped. 
Um, and we've lost a lot of people because of that. So COVID really has screwed a lot of things up for, for cancer patients. I was very, very lucky. I think because of the stage where I was, they had to act now, otherwise it would have gone down the wrong path. Um, so they kind of had to do it whether they liked it or not really to save my life. Um, so after I got the results back, they told me the type of cancer that it was and it was hormone positive, which meant that it fed off estrogen. So the more estrogen I had going around my body, the more it loved it and would eat that up and spread like wildfire. Um, and I was also what they call HER2 positive, which means, again, that that just makes it spread really fast. It's like a protein that coats the cell, makes it spread really quickly. So I was stage three, grade three. Grading is how quick it spreads. So I had the fastest growing and staging. So you have stage one to stage four. Stage one tends to be kind of a lumpectomy and you may not even need to have chemo. So that's why it's so important to catch breast cancer as early as possible. Stage two obviously is more invasive. You, you may need chemo and it depends on the size of the lump. Um, and if it may have then spread to a few of the lymph nodes at stage two. Stage three is where it's a bigger lump and it's also spread to the lymph nodes, but it hasn't spread any further around the body. So for mine, it was a, I want to say six centimetre lump, if I remember rightly. It's quite big. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, so six, and it was right by my nipple. So luckily for me, it was very obvious. Sure. Uh, by the time that I started chemo, you could really see it. Um, so yeah, six centimetre lump, and then it had spread to all of my lymph nodes. So that was stage three. Now stage four, as soon as you go on stage four, it's incurable. So you are then living with breast cancer for the rest of your life. You're on treatment for the rest of your life and you're on, you're staying alive until treatment stops working. Basically, as soon as treatment then stops working, unfortunately you, you pass away. So that for me was the worst bit out of everything was how far has it gone? Mm. So obviously I had uh, CT scans and, all the different MRIs and all that type of stuff to see how far it had spread. And I was so lucky in that I was told that it hadn't spread around my body, but it had gone to all my lymph nodes. So it was very, very touch and go. And it was that point that mentally I struggled the most. There was two points, but I'll get into the other one in a minute. Um, because at that point it was like, am I going to live or am I going to die? Sure. Um, and we were obviously locked down. So that conversation was had with me and Dan. You know, we were having conversations about what would I want at my funeral and how, how do I want the kids brought up <laughs> and, you know, all these things. So it was really, really, that was so tough to not know whether I was going to live or die. And one of the things that I said to myself at that point was, you know, I don't, I didn't, I don't believe in God or anything like that. But at that point, I was like, if there's anything or anyone out there, if I survive this, if I, if I live, I will do something. I will do better. I will be better. I will change my life. I will change the lives of the people around me. I will change lives of other people. That was like, I'm, I'm making that promise. Like, please just let me live. Um, so, yeah, that, that was kind of the, the worst bit, really. 
God, I can't even imagine being put into that position. But as you said, that existential kind of, you know, if there is anyone out there, you can see how people kind of who aren't religious before perhaps turn to faith or turn to something else to try and, and, and make sense of what's going on and almost that bargaining of, you know, I take this away and I'll do this and I'll do that. It's 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 almost, I know we talked about it in episode one, Katie Russell, <laughs> but we talked about grief being that bargaining thing. And I guess it's almost similar with with being diagnosed. You have to go through this cycle before you can really comprehend the reality. I definitely think that I had a spiritual awakening at that point. Mm-hmm. Like this whole thing has definitely helped me. Like I I have Mm. turned more kind of into believing that there's something more out there because that has really helped me and supported me. I don't believe necessarily a God, but yeah, there's there's definitely, I definitely try and now plug into like the universe supporting me and getting me through these things. And that rather than it happening to me, it's happened for me. So I really try and focus on, okay, what can I learn from it rather Mm. than, I don't want to, I've never wanted to go down that hole of why me. I do go down the hole of why me, as I say, as as a lesson, like what can I learn from it, but not woe me, woe is me, pity me. I I can't, I haven't got time for that because obviously we have our moments, don't get me wrong. You know, there's times where I think, Jesus Christ, like I've been through a lot, but you know, on the whole, like you say, am I a positive person? I don't know if I'm necessarily positive, but I have, have really had to work on changing my mindset on stuff because I don't. Th- I think it can take you down otherwise. Yeah, I, I, to- I totally agree. I think there's, um, I'm reading a book at the moment, it's called The Body Keeps Score. Yeah. And it's all about, and another one called Phantoms in the Brain. And it's all about how trauma and certain things can affect your body and how they live in your body and sort of manifest in certain ways. And certainly after what I experienced this year, after Poppy died, it was that I have to get myself into a positive mindset, you know, and I I think what what you're talking about there, where you sort of said, you know, you wanted to make a difference, you, you know, you sort of bargaining and saying, I'm I'm going to change the lives of others. I can totally, I can totally get where you're coming from with that, because I I did it myself. And I think, I think you're amazing. I I mean, I'm just sat there trying not to cry at that story. (laughs) horrendous but I mean what so what happened next in terms of your operation and your treatment and that sort of next stage because that must have been quite a lot to deal with the physical side of it as well as the mental side yeah and again I think the hardest part of that was going through it all on my own so I had six rounds of chemo so three lots of one type and three lots of another type what I also forgot to mention is that during this time, so we started to renovate our house in February. I got diagnosed in March. And so we'd kind of got half the bricks up <laughs> in February when they had to stop. Oh, they sorry, they had to stop in March. And um, they could start again by the time that I started chemo. And I was like, so poorly. So um, I started chemo in April. Um, I had, so as I say, I had three rounds. I shaved my head because I knew I was going to lose my hair. There is a thing called a cold cap that some women use, but I'll be honest, I've heard that it's painful and I'm a wimp. I know I've been through a lot of treatment and a lot of pain physically, but I was like, I'm not adding to anything. <laughs> I'm not adding anything on top of that. My hair can go. So we did a brave the shave. We raised five and a half thousand pounds from Macmillan, which was incredible. Amazing. I was so chuffed. 
Um, and we so yeah, I shaved my head the day before I started chemo because I couldn't face seeing my long hair falling out. I was just like, I no, I'm gonna take control of this. If that's got everything else, I'll take control of this. Um, so yeah, so I had three rounds of chemo while I was at this house. Then we had to move out because literally we were having every wall in our house knocked out apart from three. <laughs> so we moved out and I was so poorly oh my poor mum basically had to come and pack up my whole house for me and move me out within four days wow. it was just crazy um but we ended up living renting a cottage in the middle of like fields and in the middle of nowhere and the su- it was obviously it was summertime by that point and it was just healing wise was the best place for me to be so that was great but yeah so three rounds of the first lot and side effects wise for that one I would get home and knew I'd had to have about like two and a half hours of feeling like normal and then I would be out I would feel so sick constantly um I just stayed in bed basically most of that time how does the process of chemo actually physically work? Is it, for anyone that doesn't know, is it is it an injection? Is it something they it's pump an intravenously? Yeah, intravenously, intravenously. Um, so there are some chemos that you can have as tablet form, mm. um, but I didn't. I had all of mine IV. I think because I was stage three, I was literally on that cusp of going into stage four. They literally hit me with everything, like everything that they could. I had the strongest of everything, the biggest of everything. They just went for it. Uh, Grateful, obviously, for that. But that really does play a a role on kind of how you're then feeling. Um, So I had it every three weeks. I would go in for a blood test two days before to make sure that my bloods were where they needed to be for me to be safe to have the treatment. I would then have the treatment, which normally meant, to be honest, basically being in hospital all day, sitting on an IV drip. And then I would get home and then I'd have three weeks and it would go in a pattern. So the first three would be the first kind of seven days. I'd be quite poorly. The next week I'd kind of feel a bit more like myself. And then the last week I would say I'd feel normal, but you don't ever feel properly normal. And I don't think I realized that until I'd come off of it. I I kind of thought I was normal, but I wasn't. I was still a lot of kind of fogginess. But again, because of COVID, there was these injections you had to have to help boost your white blood cells to obviously try and protect you a bit more because you're neutropenic, neutropenic, so you have no immune system. Mm-hmm. Obviously, then I had to be so careful with COVID because that could have finished me off. Um, and I wasn't letting cancer finish me off, so I'm not letting bloody COVID do the job. <laughs> <laughs> so I had these injections, which you had to inject yourself into your stomach, and they made you quite poorly. So again, I kind of knew once those injections were done, I'd start feeling a bit more like myself. So the first one, I had five days of that. The, the second rounds, the second um, lots of three, I had seven days worth. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the first three rounds. The second three rounds again were IV drips um but that chemo was another level of hideousness um so the way that they decide how much chemo you're having is based on your BMI and my BMI up went up quite a lot because you want a lot of steroids and I just ate and ate and ate my whole way through cancer to be honest also I think another point 
is that you don't have any of your usual coping mechanisms. So you would normally cope with things by going out with your mate and having a coffee, going around seeing a friend and having a cry, or you know, going out to the pub or whatever it is, going out for a meal, whatever. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't do any of that. So I just ate everything. <laughs> um, then, as I say, I'd moved. Then the next round, they had given me too much chemo, but they didn't, they kind of it worked out like I say only BMI. So they just know then next time to dial it down a bit. But that fourth round of chemo was the worst because I got home and I mean, I don't want to go into TMI, but my bowel movements were like off the chain to the mm. point that there was bleeding involved. Oh and I couldn't eat, I couldn't even lay down without it hurting. Oh. So I was running backwards and forwards to the toilet. I, I think it must have been like 12 times within, I don't know, it was awful. But at the same time, I had bone pain. Now, bone pain, I can only describe as feeling like all your bones are breaking at the same time. So you're then having to get up out of bed and run to the toilet <laughs> with oh. pain. And I literally remember sitting on the toilet thinking, I'm going to pass out. Like, it was so painful. And the, the hospital rang me to see how I was. And I was just crying and crying and crying. So I had to go back in to have some fluids because I couldn't keep anything in me. It was just awful. And I had my stepmom come over and she was like massaging my skin because it was just so painful. Um, so luckily the last two rounds, they did dial it back a little bit. I still got those things, but it was much less scale than, than the first one. But yeah, I, that was another time that I was like, please Lord, if I ever feel better again, I will exercise and I will look after my body because Jesus Christ, it's gone through it. So all the time you're going through this, I mean, how are your husband and kids? In fact, I know it sounds like your stepmom was kind of helping, but how how are they coping, like, seeing you like this? So for my children, um, I don't know, if I'm honest. So I forgot to mention that to tell my children I had a book given to me by the hospital, which is called Mummy's Lump. And it basically is a story book, kids friendly story book that tells them like mummy's going to be in bed quite a bit and she's got a lump and it's a nasty lump. and We need to take it out and she's going to have medicine that makes her hair fall out and she's going to have an operation and be put to sleep. It, you know, it tells them everything. So I was crying my eyes out, giving them this book to read. They literally read this book and went, OK, can I go on the iPad? And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was crying my eyes out but to them they didn't have the connotations with cancer that we do as adults yeah. they they were just like okay you're gonna be poorly and you'll be better again mm. so that was that was it for them um obviously you know there's there's been moments since that but mm. yeah that was kind of a a funny one that I was really like dreading happening but they were just like okay mom no worries <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's almost an, a, a, a kind of comfort in that innocence as well isn't yeah. it it's kind of that oh oh okay you're, you're you're okay fine okay well that's one less thing I need to worry about okay <laughs> I, I envy I envy the lack of fear yeah. 
you know yeah. that not thinking oh, oh my god yeah. it's just like oh it's cool it's good yeah fine and they didn't they didn't really know that there was kind of anything to worry about until they went back to school and Freddie had told one of his classmates that I'd had cancer and she went oh my uncle died of cancer and I was like oh. and he come home and he was like her uncle died of cancer and I was like well it was a different kind and yeah really trying to kind of because you want to protect them but at the same time I've been very open with them and so like if I cry if I have a down day I'm not hiding that from them because I think it's really important that they know that it's okay to cry it's okay to have sad days okay to be down yeah don't stay there but it's okay to have those moments and we need to feel our feelings so Yeah. yeah that's one thing that I've been really open with um and then after my chemo I had a mastectomy so I literally had the whole boob cut off which again mentally I really struggled with beforehand because I was like I'm gonna feel like a freak that was it I couldn't have reconstruction done straight away because I straight I was like I need two boobs like there's no way I'm walking around with one boob not happening Mm -hmm. I'm 32 I've got kids to go swimming with like that's not happening they said to me that because of my weight, because I'd, as I say, put on loads of weight, because of the other treatment that I was still on, so I was on an antibody treatment as well, which was an IV drip, which I needed 18 rounds of. Um, That was every three weeks as well. So because I was on that, and then because of the risk of COVID as well, they wouldn't do it at the same time to keep you under for that long. So obviously it's quite a long operation. Um, oh and the fact that I needed radiotherapy if you have an implant put in and then you have radiotherapy the radiotherapy screws it up basically like makes it go rock solid and then you need it redone and everything else so he was like I'm not willing to do it you have to wait until afterwards and then we'll do a delayed reconstruction um so I was just mortified I was like not only has cancer taken everything I felt like it taken everything away from me it's then also taking my breast. Um, I was told that I'd obviously be infertile afterwards. So because I'm, um, because it was hormone positive, they had to stop my hormones. So they put me in a medical induced menopause. So I wouldn't be able to have children, any more children if I wanted to. Um, I really just felt like at that point it was taking so much away from me and it was really hard to kind of every day wake up and just like keep going and be like, there is like the end of the tunnel. So I just... I remember being dropped off by Dan and like having to walk into the hospital by yourself, knowing that you're going to have a boob cut off. It was just awful. It was so hard to get through that. Um, But I woke up and when I woke up and looked down, I didn't feel like a freak that I thought I would. I actually looked down and was like, I fucking did it. I felt so proud of myself. I was like, I am a warrior. Like I really did feel like that. I thought I've done it. Like, it's out of me you know I I did feel amazing and then when I got the results back they said that there was one millimeter of cancer in there so I was on one hand gutted that I'd had a whole boob cut off for one millimeter of cancer but on the other side I was like thank god it's gone and it's out and I haven't ever got a well hopefully never have to worry about it again so that was uh, sorry would you say it's kind of like because I find that really fascinating how kind of, you know, as women in particular, breasts, fertility, it's, you know, for, for those, th- those kind of things are, are attached to womanhood and so on. And not all of us are, are 
are lucky enough for, you know, or choose not to have children, it, you know, whatever the choice is. But, the, you know, we have been told that those are fundamental, the things of being a woman and those to be taken away, there's a stigma attached. And I'm just wondering about that kind of impact and how, you know, losing a, a, a breast meant, you know, a, a bit of your identity, a bit of you going. But there was that switch of actually I'm I'm superwoman. Look what I've done. You know, I'm just fascinated by that quick switch and how that happened. So I had a lot of coaching therapy beforehand. I really needed support. Definitely. I wouldn't have been able to do that without. Um, again, I had a lot of support. I had I had a coach who was more of a spiritual coach and I'd never done anything like that before. Before all of this stuff, I would never have spoken to anyone to me that was woo woo crap um but she really really helped me connect back to myself and to realize kind of what was really important for me and um kind of just kept me mentally sane I guess um but the other thing I was going to mention when you said about um when when you lose a breast and you lose your fertility um it's a grieving process this whole thing has been a full on grieving process. Like Katie before cancer is totally different to Katie after cancer. And I've had to grieve her. And I know that that sounds weird, but it's true. I've had to grieve a lot for her things that she, how she thought her life was going to be. I still grieve for the innocence that she had uh, because now I don't, I, can't ever get that back I know what it's like to look down a barrel of a gun now and I wish I didn't but I do um but also what really angered me was that because I had two children people would go oh well you've got kids so it doesn't matter you didn't you didn't want more kids well actually I never ever had told anybody that I never wanted more kids and actually I'll be honest I don't know whether I did or didn't want more kids but the fact that it was taken away from me yeah that's what hurt yeah so yeah that that I found that really hard you know the 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 women that have gone through cancer that haven't got children uh, then are infertile everyone's like oh that's so awful but if you've got children and then are infertile it's not the same reaction mm. um which was really hard to deal with because I, I got that from my family as well like well you've got two kids you've got one of each and it's like I know but I've I'm going point. through something that's yeah. now taking that choice away and you know we had to we ha I, I wouldn't say that we'd actually decided whether we were going to have another yeah. one or not have another one, but that wasn't the point. Yeah. No, it's not the point. It's, and even if someone hadn't wanted to have children, as you said, to now no longer have that choice, even though they had chosen not to have children, it, it's still a part of you. It's still a part of your identity. You've had that for your whole life. It's still, it's still an organ that you have. It's yours. Yeah. Um, it, I can't imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, have you carried on with the um, spiritual coaching and the therapy and, and stuff now? Do you continue to get that support and work on your yeah, sort of I, mindset? Yeah, I think I'm going to always need that. Sure. I, I just I don't see a point now where I'm not going to need any support um, because I, I just find it so important. 
even just the mundane stuff like we look at what we're all going through at the minute with life in general without cancer like covid's awful for everyone so yeah i think we all could do with just offloading to people and getting it out off our chest and whatever else and there's definitely practices that i've put in place that i have to do now because if i don't i really notice the difference and yeah i i think that's always gonna be i mean i'm not saying that i need someone every single week but yeah i definitely think i need to check in with people and and make sure that i've got that support yeah 100 percent. do you have a a fear that it's gonna come back oh yes yeah yeah that's another thing is that you can't you I call it like it's a grumbling fear now it's always going to be there whether I like it or not I can't ever get rid of that Mm -hmm. um and you know any cancer patient will tell you they get a headache and then that's it they think they've got cancer like straight away the first thought is oh it's in my brain (laughs) or you know I had a sore ankle the other week and had to go and have an x-ray on that because I didn't know what I'd done to it and automatically I was like have I got cancer in my ankle like it you know I I don't stay there as I say like those thoughts will automatically come up that's what our brains do our brains want to keep us safe it pattern matches so um that will always happen but I do try to not let that take over my life but I allow it when it when it is there because it's it is what it is and actually the facts are that in the next five years the chances of getting it are a lot higher than normal so I will obviously keep checking and you know all that fun stuff so yeah going back to what you said before I mean I I just it was so powerful when you said you you're you grieved for pre-cancer Katie um and you know there's a lot of hard things that you have experienced on your journey that you are that you've learned from now I've charted I I'm, I'm a bit of a Instagram stalker anyway and I just find your Instagram just a fascinating telling of your story in other facets as well and I'm, I'm not going to spoil it but go and follow Katie because what she does in her journey post-cancer is powerful but what my question is really is how has cancer changed you in a progressive way it's literally changed everything like so um one of the things is that I'd I'd always wanted to be a coach anyway that was so a bit of a background to me is that I used to be a Slimmer World consultant way back in the day lost a load of weight on Slimmer World thought that the best thing I could do is then become a consultant and I'd help people um what I didn't realize is that it completely screwed my head up with my relationship with food um and I don't necessarily agree with diets anymore um but the part of it that I loved was seeing the transformation in people um what I always felt was missing was that the reason why women eat isn't necessarily just because there's a donut sitting there we, we do it quite a lot emotionally, which I know is what happened with me during cancer. You know, I, I ate my emotions. Mm-hmm. So I knew that I wanted to help people on a deeper level, but I never had the opportunity to do that before. So once, after I had cancer, I had, I got a payout for having critical illness cover. If you don't have critical illness cover, people that are listening, 
you need it because we all go oh no we don't think any, it's not going to happen to us I'll, I'll, I'll leave I won't get my soapbox for that one <laughs> but um yeah I had a bit of a payout and so I said I don't care we'll, we were obviously doing the house up I said right we'll do the house up but I'm keeping a certain amount to do my coaching qualification that's so important to me so that is what I've done and that is kind of for me the um the way that I want to then use that as a vessel to help and support people going forward um but even you know there's things that I've done like journaling and things like that like I've really become a massive advocate of that and obviously I've spoken to you Vicky about that a lot so there's things that I I just want to help people in general it's not like I just want to be a coach I want to just help and support people going forward because yeah I think as well before cancer I would be so down about certain things that I look back now and I think god if I knew what I knew that you know if I knew what I knew now then yeah it would be so different and I would love to help women empower themselves to re- to not have to go through something as horrendous as cancer like I had to go through to realize that mm-hmm. that makes sense totally it's an amazing way of putting it actually because I, to- mm-hmm. I totally get what you're saying I-, I think about stuff that I used to worry about and think what what why was I even bothered about that why did that get me so riled up why did that set off my anxiety and you say it takes something like so big for you to realize and you just think I wish I didn't have to go through all that to actually realize where I am now and actually take a step back and have someone help me do it so I think that's amazing yeah I remember once I was on a diet and I went around to my other half's parents and they went do you want a custard cream and I was like literally I had one custard cream and my brain went into you're disgusting you're fat you can't stick to it and it it, I'm not even joking it brought me like a week's worth of depression (laughs) because I ate a custard cream and I just thought wowza like now I sit and I think Mm -hmm. I ate a bloody custard cream I eat a whole pack now Life is for living, my friend. <laughs> Life's too short. <laughs> but it does help you reassess like what's important. And I think, you know, that's happened for a lot of people, hasn't it, with COVID and things like that. You know, we've all kind of had to go, oh, d- work in the rat race. Is that really what, what we're here for? Put things in perspective for sure, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I think one yeah. thing that you started talking about right at the start, which... I think it freaked me out a bit because I've always thought when I'm in the shower and I'm washing myself and and I you know and I'm thinking oh, you know what if I feel something and it, I'm almost too scared to sort of delve in and properly check you know the obviously the advice is check yourself regularly and I mean guys check themselves all the time so we've got the hands down their pants something but women it's more like you're washing yourself you don't then go and stand in the mirror like the NHS booklet says to do and go oh you know can I you know you don't do that and I I you know the fear of finding something sometimes sort of almost stops me from doing it because I'm like oh I just yeah I wash myself fine and clean you know I don't need to you know what would you say to women like me um or anyone else out there who's thinking like that 
Okay, so firstly, breast cancer can happen to men as well as women. So men need to be checking as well. It's breast tissue. So it's not just boobs, it's breasts. So yeah, men need to be checking as well. But um, I mean, it's hard because if you saw what I've been through, you would check every day. (laughs) Like, you know, the, the fact is, you know, I've got friends that, as I said, stage one, it's still horrific. Don't get me wrong. It's still cancer, but it's so less intrusive that, you know, you're not going to lose a boob. You're not going to potentially have to go through chemo and lose your hair. Yes, you will still have the, the fact that you've had a diagnosis and that for anyone, no matter what stage it is, that's really tough. But, you know, I would rather deal with it at that stage than to be dealing with it at the stage I am or later because as I say I was on the cusp if it was later that I wouldn't we wouldn't know how long my life was going to be um so yes you know it is scary the thought that you may find something but it's more scary if you leave it um and if I can if you're happy with me just to talk about kind of what to look out for yes please um, yeah yeah so um you need to be feeling all in your armpit it's not just your breast so all in the armpit all the way up to your collarbone and you're feeling for anything that feels different so um I did have a pain in mind but that's not normal not many people have pain so you know I'm not saying that every time you feel a pain it's cancer so I don't want you to think that as I said at the beginning this is my story and what happened to me everyone is slightly different Um, So obviously you'll be feeling for lumps. Now, the reason they say to do it once a month is to do it at the same time in your cycle each month because we get lumpier breasts during our cycle and they go again. So you could be feeling every day and then you'll start feeling something and it won't be there, you know. So every month, just check and see if it changes. Um, And by checking every month, also, you just get to know what's normal for you. You'll get to know what a normal lumpy breast feels like, because we've all got lumps and bumps anyway. So just by feeling it around, feeling under your armpit, you'll feel what's normal. And then each month you'll be able to say, oh, okay, that wasn't there that month or it was or whatever. And the other thing to look out for, the other thing I forgot to mention was that my nipple started to to, um, invert. So I had one poking and one out and I was like, well, that's never happened to me before. What is that about? Um, obviously, I didn't know at the time, but that's another sign. Uh, nipple discharge, um, rashes, redness, sizes. So we most of us will have a breast one bigger than the other anyway, slightly. So it's just checking the size in your still as it would normally be. Um, dimpling of the skin so there's there's a few different things to be looking out for Um, but yeah it is scary as you say to to look out for it but the fact is is if you do do a good job or I'm not saying that if you've got it you haven't done a good job but if you can really check then at least if there is something you can catch it early because that is you know it's life-saving literally life-saving to catch it early I think I think just listening to you today has just inspired me to go and to go and check because as you said you said if if I could see what you've been through and even just listening to your story just breaks my heart like just thinking right well I can I can maybe just take one step to just try and prevent that and just you know and if we can use this video to spread the word as well it's it's even if it helps just one or two people it, it's made a difference isn't it. 
Yeah. And that's why I talk about what's happened because I want to spread awareness. I want women to check and men to check. Um, And it isn't just about breasts. You know, you have to just maybe once a month, bit of body admin, have a check in with the whole body. It's not just your breasts. You know, are my bowel movements the same? Am I, is my weight kind of as it should be? Or am I losing weight with not realizing um, you know, all of these different things, just have a little thing like, is everything as normal as it should be? Is everything, you know, and if it isn't, just go to the doctor. They're still open because that was another thing. So many people didn't go to the doctors last year. They're now coming in at stage four because they didn't go in because they were worried about COVID or whatever. They thought that the GPs were shut, which they've mm-hmm. never been shut. Um, unfortunately, the screening was, but you know, that's just, that was for my trust. I don't know, not every trust was the same. Um, But yeah, I remember the other thing I was going to say is that I also had 15 rounds of radiotherapy, which was this time last year. And uh, I smile because I can't believe how far I've come in that year. So my radiotherapy started on the 1st of November and finished at the end of November. But what happens with radiotherapy is it's like, it feels like an x-ray, so you can't feel anything, but it burns you from the inside out. So what happens is as you, as I was then going through December, my skin was just burning and it got to the point where, so each year we go to centre parks, we've just got back. And last year we're at centre parks, Dan, now this is love. My skin was literally like falling away, like blistering and burning and coming away it stunk of like rotten flesh it was disgusting he would have to like put these like gel pads over my burns then I'd have to like put another cotton pad over the top of all of that to be able to like go out and do anything with everyone because obviously it was rubbing on my bra because I've still got the other boob that still needs (laughs) to be held in place (laughs) otherwise be down by my knees um so yeah it was just really nice to go back to centre parks this year and to go geez do you remember last year when you were like packing my burns and then this year I'm like cycling around and getting in swimming pool and yeah mad what an amazing journey and what what's next for Katie then uh what is next for Katie it's yeah coaching just getting the coaching business kind of up and running and and serving people and helping people and getting my message out there really so yeah, it's exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, amazing. I just, just want to ask a quick question. If anyone is watching this who has either just been diagnosed themselves or um, got concerns or um, maybe know someone that's just been diagnosed, what would your advice be to them in terms of, you know, where they can go for support or any reading materials or any advice that you can give them? So Macmillan is amazing. Breast Cancer Now is amazing. Again, most things have been cancelled now and are all online. So that's kind of the best place to go to. Um, But most hospitals will have um, Macmillan nurses or, you know, a a centre. We have a centre at ours, a wellbeing centre that has um, different charities in. So we have that. But again, that was all shut when... I was diagnosed so I, I didn't get to use any of it but yeah there's um Macmillan I would say Macmillan and breast cancer now have been the ones that have really helped me really supported me um but also things like financial support they can help with um 
uh yeah emotional support that type of thing but also the hospital can really support you and your family as well so if you say to them you know my my husband's really struggling or whatever they can then help you and put you in touch with people to to get some support okay also my my dms are always open i'm always happy to speak to anybody so if anybody yeah has found anything is worried wants to ask me anything obviously as I say I can only go by what's happened to me but I'm more than happy to speak about whatever and yeah get and help and support where I can. I think I'm one of your biggest fangirls because I just think your openness and honesty of your journey I mean I hope this episode will highlight you know how important it is but you're such a, a role model in you know surviving you know how to survive and you know it's you don't have to be strong all the way through there are going to be moments that are going to knock you on your bum and that's okay and I just find the your whole journey just absolutely incredible and yeah thank you so much for sharing it with us today you're welcome I would just want to say that even though I, I, you know, a lot of people say, oh yeah, you're really strong and brave. I know, you know, that's one of the things that people say, like, you know, you're really strong and yeah, I do feel, but there has been support. And so I think that's really important is that, you know, you're not on your own, you can get support. There's a massive cancer community out there, which sometimes as with everything can be a double-edged sword because, you know, I've made lots of friends and unfortunately not all of them are still here um which can be really hard to take when you're dealing with your own diagnosis so it's a double-edged sword the same with any social media or whatever um but you know as I say there's times where like you say I've been on my bum definitely um but we just don't stay there we just we don't unpack there oh oh, I'm gonna cry now (laughs) oh that's amazing oh thank you so much Katie and yeah what what a way to end an episode (laughs) No, it's been it's been absolutely incredible. I've just it's very rare that I don't have much to say and I've just <laughs> sat listening and try not to cry for most of it. So thank you for being so honest. It's been I don't stop talking. It's giving us a break this episode. <laughs> Honestly, thank you so much for your honesty. Thanks for having me. Oh, and we'll put a list of all the resources and everything at the end um as well and on our respective websites. Um and yeah, follow Katie on Instagram, she's incredible. Yes. Yes, Instagram for sure. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks Thanks for joining us, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye.